2: Everybody, welcome to the Wackel to Gaming podcast. I'm your host Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford, and only Josh Brown because James Dawes once again has been hampered by technology this week, just not able to get his computer working whatsoever. Man's had to go home, and we had to Listen. hit the recording slot.
3: So here we are. That's what he always says. That man skives more than I did at university. I don't believe any of these excuses for a second. Who doesn't have a computer? Is all I'm going to say. Well, at Matt, the I office. Think- I have
2: that thing. I've had that thing where you try and go in for a nice, lovely day's work, and you can't get some. Something goes wrong, and it snowballs, and then three hours pass, and you're like, <laughs> "I've just, I just hate my entire life. I'm going home." And so, I, I think he's uh, mid-transit right now on the way back home. But we need to hit a recording slot, so it's just me and thee. Um, but we thought we'd have a conversation on the idea of you know which video games are the best first time through. Because shout out to What Culture Wrestling's Michael Sidgwick, who's currently going through Zelda Breath of the Wild, um, and keeps messaging us with all of his first time experiences, all the different things in that game that are just brilliant the first time you stumbled upon them um, and it's, you know we're sort of vicariously living through him and we thought we'd do this conversation on which video games are the best first time through and you know so it's sort of pointing at the idea of like some of the best games of all time but maybe you don't want to revisit them um, because they nail their sort of you know openings endings whatever their structure overall and I, I already know that I'm going to say because like, we have we have three picks each and I know that I'm going to say stuff and then you're going to say that you played them five times over and you've got the platinum and you can't wait to play it again um, but we'll get there I want to have a little, a little uh, opening conversation on uh gameplay loops monetization loops where the industries are how we've sort of moved away from narrative and how it's it's almost a miracle if something actually prioritizes its story um But do you have any preference? Like that was kind of my opening thing was just, do you prefer games or experiences that can end? Um, Or do you like the idea of something in a game space having like endless loops that you can go back to? And it's just, it's just there. You can sort of tap back into it like a Rocket League or something like that.
3: Scott Telford, you know me as a man who will rarely watch a television show unless it has an ending. So I think I can say... You could have put full stop after television show. Uh, that, That would have been that. That's very true. No, I do like an ending. I prefer an ending. It's not that I'm against games like go on forever. As I've talked about, um, ad nauseum, Call of Duty Warzone is one of my... F- favorite gaming experiences ever and that mm-hmm. is a thing that is just going to live forever until the servers are shut off and it's up to you to decide when to end it. But yeah overall I'm kind of after something that feels complete. You know, the right. idea of completion I think in general has kind of started to go away in games mm-hmm. at the moment in favor of live services that like you said exist forever. But yeah generally I'm I'm after something that I can put away and then potentially revisit in a couple years' time. Uh, but to something I can say that I finished in completed. Yes,
2: well, that's the thing because um, I think it was just this week came out that God of War Ragnarok is 40 hours to 100% it, or to try and see everything but about 20 hours for the main story and I went, brilliant, perfect. I, I'm actually going to be able to see that. Like, I'm actually going to be able to get through that. It's not aiming for a 200, 300 hour slog where it's just grind, grindable stuff over and over and over again. I like a nice, tight, short game. In fact, it's one of the reasons that I really like Metal Singer because I can, I can, as you've, I mean, I might argue that game's are a bit too short considering it's <laughs> (laughs) to hit its stride and then it's over but still you can replay those levels you can get better at them there's different goals there's different arcade things to hit Um, I like a nice (laughs) as a sentence I like a nice tight experience Josh Brown and I think sometimes I really do on an afternoon it's uh, 20 past 2 in the afternoon and uh, I think that sometimes that can be way more preferable than just an endless thing I get the whole value for money side of it but there's something about knowing that it has an end to it like it's a bookend like you're going to close the final chapter and know that that part of your life is done Um, and maybe you'll choose to replay it as opposed to just never getting there Um, and having that idea of things uh, replicating themselves for so long that there's almost a miniature idea of replaying it over and over and over again before you even hit the credits because of how many things you're doing over and over, you know, the same activity over and over again.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think that's like a really interesting idea. And, you know, I just think in the kind of culture that we live in right now, not Mm. just in the realm of video games, but we have so much vying for our attention. We always did, but now that everything (laughs) is streamable, everything is, you know, accessible at our Mm. fingertips, you know, we've got... I mean, if, if if young Josh knew how many video games he had access to at mm. the click of a button, he would mm. lose his tiny little head. You know, right mm. now we've just got so much to play. We've got so many games on our two playlists, so many things to watch, so many TV shows for me to avoid. <laughs> that I one of the first things I do and um, before playing a game right now yep. is head to howlongtobeat.com and kind of figure out how much time I'm going to have to dedicate to it and it's kind of like the length of games dictates my 2 playlist more than it ever did in years prior totally the thing is I was on the
2: Xbox the other day and uh, I just one of their tiles on the dashboard was uh, (laughs) way too many games question mark question mark and I was like yes Xbox you're doing this you're the one giving me a full you know 10 course meal every month uh, whilst I'm still feasting on the previous month Um, but I feel like yeah even they are very very much aware of it and obviously we got the statistics for Game Pass this week that it's making 2.9 billion dollars so it's not going to be going anywhere anytime soon Um, but yeah I just think that idea of over time stories sort of going by the wayside I feel like stories in gaming kind of came from, you know, Kojima and Metal Gear Solid, then the next evolution was Naughty Dog and Uncharted. And then you sort of got The Last of Us, where it refined things off and matured things. And 2013 sort of elevated the medium, and you sort of got this other side to gaming that was way more introspective and complex and emotionally resonant or whatever. of there weren't games in between them, but I, I sort of looked to them as some of the milestones. And then I feel like across the 2010s, it all went away and it became more arcadey again. And the eighth generation was just doubling down on, okay, what can we, what can we give you that's a five-minute loop? And then how can we replicate that and monetize it? And it was kind of like a return to the arcade mentality. And one of the earliest podcasts that we ever did was, you know, is the idea of a, a story in a video game a fad? Because they were in all of a sudden across the 2000s. Um, and do we need them, let's say? And like, I think that's interesting. And it's like, I think where we're at now, you've got PlayStation doubling down on story stuff. And Jim Ryan talking about, you know, one of the most valuable aspects of PlayStation is their single player stories. And if anything, they're just trying to expand the story side of it with how big their IPs are becoming, like the yeah. Horizon movie and everything else. But yeah, where do you, what do you think of that stuff, where the industry's at right now? in in regards to story prioritization?
3: And for me, you know, definitely I agree with what you said there about in the 2010s especially, once the Mm. indie space properly started to blow up where you had, you know, mechanical-focused games, everyone, I think, kind of realized that, you know, well, maybe gameplay is king and that kind of discourse came to the rose to the top of the pile in a way that it wasn't necessarily in the late 2000s or even early 2000s. However, Mm -hmm. I will say that I don't think it's just because stories have maybe been minimised in some of the biggest AAA games that we kind of get um, these experiences that, you know, last forever or prioritize loops. I think it's kind of like the difference in how campaigns just are structured from a gameplay perspective. Like, I Mm. remember going back to Metal Gear Solid 1 a few years ago, which you mentioned Mm. there, um, and I was shocked at how little just kind of um, base stealth you do in that game and what I mean by that is kind of just being in a room with a bunch of guys and having it be up to you whether you want to take them out or whether you want to sneak through. Like there are some levels like that but that game is so set piece heavy. You know you're moving Mm -hmm. from one distinct gameplay kind of zone to the next and it's punctuated by kind of like those more general uh, gameplay sections where you're just doing like the core stealth uh, now and again. But Mm -hmm. I was shocked at how much very was in there compared to games now where like you said you know you do kind of get a five to ten minute loop and then that's more or less the whole game. Yeah you can yeah. change it up with different objectives but you kind of you get your gameplay sort of base and then that it's it's things added on top of that it's not swapping the base out for another meal if that makes sense that analogy yeah, and was like, quite bad but i hope no that's that. how it works i think for me it's like that difference between skill trees being actual
2: abilities that you don't and skill trees being plus five percent to your attack and it's the same animation but now it does more damage like that for me is the most boring way to progress in a game like i get that sometimes that's just raw rpg stuff but it depends how it's implemented like per game but i always love a good ability tree i love the ability that i just love the i love the ability to get proper abilities in Games, so I can unlock a move, you know, 30 levels later that I didn't have at the beginning. I feel better as a player. I like the idea of things being inside you as well, um, abilities that you didn't know your character had. And um, like, I'm playing through Mario Sunshine at the minute, and there's like extra abilities that Mario has. That, as far as I've done so far, I'm like 10 levels in. The game yeah. hasn't tutorialized at all, but it's like, oh, if you flick the analog stick and then jump, you'll do a pirouette. And then if you do the, uh, like, you've got this like water cannon thing. If you do that whilst you're spinning, you'll do this big shower attack. And it's like, well, that's really cool that I didn't know was in there. That in itself is really rewarding. Um, we should pivot into our specific uh, choices for this because I think they'll just be threaded throughout the, the conversation in general of the games that nail this like ramp up and progression and feeling of progress
3: um, and that do it best. So uh, what would you like to lead with? Scott Telvet, I'm going to lead with a game that I know you love and that's uh, <laughs> The Outer Wilds because The Outer <laughs> Wilds to me is the peak game. Mm. Uh, if we're talking about, you know, what is the game that you would like to erase from your memory and experience fresh? To me it's mm-hmm. going to be the Outer Wilds every single time mm-hmm. and interestingly, at least for me it's not because of the story, it's because of your understanding of the game mechanics you mentioned Mario mm-hmm. there and having you know these systems built within the game that aren't tutorialized that you just kind of figure out for yourself and you feel mm-hmm. like you've unlocked something you've unlocked another part of the game you've unlocked a bit of knowledge that you didn't have and for me the Outer Wilds, which if you don't know is a game all about space exploration. You are someone going into space for the first time, and after 20 minutes past, the sun explodes, and you Mm -hmm. find yourself back on the planet you set off from, and you need to keep doing these 20-minute loops over and over again to kind of figure out what the hell's going on. And ultimately, on top of that, figure out the entire universe and how it works, because every (laughs) planet you visit is different. It has Mm -hmm. completely different uh, rules in terms of its physics, in terms of its geography, all of that stuff, yet they're all connected, yet because it's, you know, a galaxy, each kind of thing in that galaxy complements something else, and it's up to you to kind of make what is initially literally a universe of possibilities Mm -hmm. small and knowable, and it's because you have to ultimately know the universe in totality that's why I would never get the same experience playing it again because you know those mysteries Mm -hmm. and the whole appeal of the game is understanding those mysteries and gaining knowledge and understanding not only the story but just kind of how everything works and how everything fits together. It makes you feel smart as hell when you have that knowledge but Mm -hmm. one of the best experiences is not knowing what you're doing and just coming up with your own hypotheses and Mm -hmm. then trying them out, seeing if they work, if they don't, going back to the drawing board. I'm not smart enough to be a scientist but this game has made me feel like a scientist and i would love to experience that again but i couldn't if i played it the second time and what you could
2: play, and this isn't one of my three picks, but it reminds me that everything with Outer Wilds because I cannot, for the life of me, get <laughs> Outer Wilds. So I've played it like four times. I never enjoy any of it, and I just bounce off it. Whatever. I know somewhere in there is a great game, and I've landed on a few different planets. And the thing that I do love about it is that each planet kind of has its own um, rule set, like you know, like, uh, its own rules. Like sometimes they're uh, visually based, sometimes they're physics based, um, sometimes they're like optical illusions. Almost depends what it is. And then, like you said, once you've figured that stuff out, you've you figured it out, and you've like you'll be arriving on that planet knowing what to look for and what and um, all of that reminds me of the Witness, where uh, or Jonathan Blow's work in general. Once you know how Braid functions, you'll you'll get it. Like you know what the rule of time is for that level, and then it, figuring out how time can function differently in Braid was it, it was its own brain breaking thing. And then for him to do that again in the Witness, um, I don't think you've played the Witness. Um, no, nope. but that is easily one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, it wouldn't be on my list for what I'm going for in terms of the three games that I've picked here. But massive shout out to the Witness. That game is all about let's say cognitive expansion and once you realize you know what what, like what rules they're playing with and once you speak that, it's literally a language like The Witness is a language and you're learning it the whole way through and then once yes. you can speak that language you see right through the game and then towards the end of it they gamify the fact that they know that they're speaking to you and it's like <laughs> that's incredible like that is next level genius like yeah The Witness is phenomenal and I think if, if, Outer Wilds and The Witness feel like they are quite similar I, I would still totally recommend The Witness to everybody um, and like yeah and I managed to finish The Witness thankfully Whereas I, like, out a while, I just couldn't get a, a foothold on. Um, but
3: these, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, no oh, continue. It. Finish your points, Scott Telford. I don't no,
1: want
2: to. No, no. In. I was I was going to throw in one of my weightier examples of what I was going for in terms of what it, what uh, a game that's incredible first time through means. But you should say your thing, and then I'll throw mine in.
3: Let me put in then because it does yeah. uh, continue what you said there. Because again, going off with our conversation with Michael Sidgwick, which mm-hmm. inspired this podcast from this morning. You know, he was oh talking about something similar. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my he my was god. talking about you know playing Breath of the Wild and acquiring this knowledge and how it's just kind of fun to learn a game systems and come to grips with the environment and the character that you're embodying and I do Mm -hmm. think that most of the games that I've picked for this list and most of the games that I would rank amongst the most fondest gaming experiences that I've ever had feel like an education feel like you're Mm -hmm. being taught, feels like you've expanded like you said, you've expanded your brain you've expanded your understanding of what video games can even be Mm -hmm. or especially the player space that you're playing within Uh, and that's just it's really really difficult to nail those games and I've only ever played like a handful of them but when they get it right they lead to these conversations they lead to you thinking about them all the time and they resonate in a way that you know an Ubisoft 50-hour, uh, <laughs> five-minute gameplay loop just can't even come close to a my. Well,
2: that's opinion. the opinion, right? Like, I miss these kinds of conversations, or the conversations that we were having this morning with Cedric, or anyone who's going through the likes of Breath of the Wild, where it's like, oh my god, have you seen this yet? Have you tried this area of the map yet? Have you held this button down while you did this? And it's like, some of that stuff can feel like spoilers. Obviously, you don't want to give away specifics, but that idea of there's more to this game and you haven't seen it yet, versus in Ubisoft's case, and even in Far Cry Three, it was like, well, have you done a settlement yet? Have you done that? you beaten this boss yet it's like well yes and you beat them in the same way that I did like there's like, small amounts of variations in terms of maybe how you were taking out NPCs in a settlement or something but the realisation in Breath of the Wild's case that Link has a much much bigger uh, moveset than you think he does at the beginning um, and just you know realising you can aim in slow motion if you just aim in midair um, or whatever it is like I think that stuff is, is it comes to you and you realise that you're becoming the hero over time uh, yeah. I'll throw in just alongside this that Breath of the Wild was going to be my like quote unquote number one I think that's the Ultimate um hero's journey monomyth style perfect game um that I just drank in across 2017 and absolutely adore. I think it's the Possibly the best game of all time. Like it's just, it just, it's up there. Like it just absolutely is. Um, and it has that transcendental quality, where it's or transcendent quality, where it just it taps into something where it's like you're you're on the journey with Link. You are Link. You're figuring stuff out. You're thinking in a way that replicates Link. Um, I'm just throwing that in as one of my three. But what were you going to say?
3: I can't remember, but I would just echo <laughs> what you said there about Breath of the Wild, because I also left that off my list because I thought you oh. were going to include it. But we might as well talk about it here, because mm-hmm. I do think that is also you know one of if not the apex of this entire thing because i again i said to this morning you know i've been chasing the high that breath of the wild gave me in 2017 (laughs) for the past five years because Mm -hmm. like you mentioned you know you embody this character and just as you would in real life you're kind of figuring out what you're literally capable of and it's Mm -hmm. not through unlocks it's not through stats it's rarely even through you know actual power-ups that you get in game it's just Mm -hmm. about what items do you have at your disposal what does the environment dictate and what can i physically do and sometimes that's all you need to create a game that uh, produces individual stories that you can then you know go to work go see your friends and then talk about you know no one gets through that game the same two ways i didn't even know you could ride your shield as a sledge (laughs) until i had finished it and talked to you about it you know because it has all of these secrets and it's ultimately kind of up to the player how they navigate the world and you know it in, in, in allows them to indulge in what they find interesting and exciting
2: well, I love that. Like Cedric was uh, saying that he's currently struggling with a lot of the. Uh, I feel what they're actually called. The sentries, and um, they're sort yes. of like spider sentries. They have like a, They have like laser blasts. Figuring out how to parry them, like get the timing right. It's all to do with like when they flash just before they fire. It's like an instant blast thing, but you can't parry them. And any shield can parry. It's just that the weaker the shield, the tighter the window. And it's just like realizing that again, like everything that you need is in you. Even if you just pick up a really basic wooden shield, you can still deflect this insane laser blast. You just have to get the timing right. And it's like it, for me, it's the perfect type of progression, or it's the perfect type. Of um, leveling up or whatever, because you're getting better as a as a gamer, as a player, as a, understanding that space. And even if you're just like, I need some health, and um, let me look around the my surroundings. Oh, there's a few apples in uh, apples in those trees. I'm gonna climb up that tree. I'm gonna cut some apples down. I'm gonna eat them, or I'm gonna cook them. Or like the first time you realize that you know, if you cut a tree down and then you get some flint and you just like strike it with a weapon and it yes. makes a spark and a flame and you've just made a bonfire. Um, and if you need to make some shelter, you can put a log over you as well in between two different things and just sit there and be like, I've just done I've just done this myself. I've just sure shifted about a Dark Souls bonfire and um, things like that, that I guess like, you know, people are going to want to stumble onto and going through that game, realizing just how many systems were in there that were emergent. Um, so few games do that.
3: I'm completely breaking the structure of this whole podcast, but I just find <laughs> this whole thing really interesting because I'm playing through the last of us part two right now, hmm. as I keep, talking about, but I promise it's really relevant this time. And Mm -hmm. the thing that I love about that game and the thing that I love about a lot of Zelda games is that it makes the puzzle it doesn't dumb the puzzles down but it makes the puzzles often revolve around common sense so the first time in The Last of Us Part 2 for instance, that you realise you can just smash a window next to a locked door and jump through it (laughs) uh, feels like revelatory because you're kind of playing a game, thinking about game rules, and not every Mm. game allows you to smash a window. Not every game allows you to jump over a chest-high wall, even though you should be able to because there are invisible barriers and you're playing within you know, a rest- restrictive game space. You're not playing mm-hmm. within a real world. But I think what's... It- once- Sorry. No, no, just super quick to to add into that. There's one bit where you're playing as
2: Ellie, I forget which specific part of the city you're in, but you go upstairs. I was exploring every inch of that game the second time that I went through it. And it's like you're exploring for like collectibles and everything and there's one bit where you can break a window and you can see like sort of like the um, the overhang of like what used to be like a billboard or something and you can see another office around the corner and if you throw the rope at the right angle you can make a swing and you can jump out, grab the rope and swing to the next office. I wish they did way more of that because I feel like that stands out as the one time they do that. But that feeling of like oh I'm I'm interacting with the, the physics of this in a really unique way Um, I love that and I, I, yeah. like I said I wish Naughty Dog would do more of that uh, going forward.
3: 100% and that's just what I love because you know in real life hopefully I will never be lost in the woods with uh, you know <laughs> the need to make a fire but in mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild I can live that out and I can live that out in a way that makes sense within my brain I think it's a testament to how cartoony Breath of the Wild is and how mm. you know simplistic a lot of it's quote-unquote realistic um, gameplay designs are like you said you know you just strike it and then a fire works but it makes sense on a kind of common sense level and mm-hmm. I love that in games that to me is so much more interesting than you know a game giving you an elemental you know bullet that kind of freezes <laughs> people that can be fun but yeah I, I, it's often more fun to kind of take more quote-unquote mundane, thi- mundane things and do something interesting with them
1: Plus that that elemental bullet, you know, by the end of the game, it's
2: plus it's doing five thousand more damage than it did before, but it still freezes them in the same animation. It still does the same, has the same application. And um, maybe the, the numbers go up a little bit, which is just yeah. a little bit boring. And um, you' end up playing a spreadsheet in the background of everything. Um, I'm gonna throw in um, another one here, and then we'll go back to you. And um, my other one um, that I was gonna initially lead with was Red Dead Redemption Two, um, which is just a immaculate, you know. Because the thing is, my whole sort of criteria for this was games that are journeys, games that feel like they're done, games that I don't want to touch again because the the first time through them needs to be almost cemented and crystallized and left alone. I remember when um David Cage first said about heavy rain, it was just that whole idea of the first time through that game, whatever choices you made, even if your Ethan drank the juice from the fridge in the morning before going to do the rest of that game, that was your story and you should never replay it. And he would always encourage people to not replay his games back then, um, which I always liked the idea of. And it depends like what the reason is that you might want to replay it, but something like Red Dead Redemption 2 is such a weighty, um, you know, sort of elephantine experience. Like you are lumbering through that game to get to the end of it and there are like spikes of like levity and action and everything but when I got to the end of it I was it was like a big dusty tome that I was like closing and I was just like that was like phenomenal and incredible and I went back and forth on the end of it and for me personally it didn't really work because it didn't necessarily register what my character was doing the whole time through but there were so many highs and it was rendered so well and and, um, portrayed so well that I lived that life like I lived a life and things happened at the end of that game and that life was done and so I'm not going to resurrect and go back to that um, because it it's done, but I don't know if you have the same thing because I would also transplant that across to something like The Last of Us. Not that that ends in the same way, um, but they feel done, and because they're weighty, they they take up my time. They're emotionally draining. Like yeah. that, that's that's a quality that I go to if I'm thinking about things that are best first time through.
3: What I like about this podcast, uh, just to you know <laughs> pat ourselves on the back, is that yeah. we both have come away with like slightly different um conclusions as to what you know constitutes a game that we would only play through once because Red mm. Dead Redemption 2 two nights ago I was considering <laughs> playing through for the third time Scott Tailford, because I love that game so much I've played it twice through to completion Right. I will sorry I will say,
2: oh, sorry, I will say that after I I beat it what I wanted to do was get back to I think it's the third chapter in that game where everything is open to you but you are um you have all the camp uh, upgrades and everything's optional and whatever you don't have that much of a story impetus to do stuff because the the camp is ticking over. Over. Um, Dutch has got his plan, but nothing's implemented yet. And I just, I love that feel. So there was a time back in 2018 after I finished, well, maybe it was 2019 because I would have given it some time, where I went back and I just got back to that chapter so I could just live in the idyllic sort of cowboy sim wing of that game. Um, but it wasn't about replaying the story. It wasn't about any of that. I was skipping cutscenes. I was just getting back oh, to, let me get it. But I already played through it because I was like, let me get back <laughs> to that that chapter. I just want to live that midpoint for a bit before everything goes sideways.
3: I totally get that. Uh, I have the opposite experience because (laughs) I've played through Red Dead Redemption 2 Twice, like front to back each time, 80 hours each, and loved it just as much the second time through because I similarly, though, had a bit of trepidation the second time around because my first experience with that game felt so personalised and Arthur Mm. felt like he had an experience that only I gave him because obviously the cutscenes mostly play out the same, but Mm -hmm. what you do in, like, chapter three or whatever... Um, can be different from player to player what you kind of find interesting and what you pursue mm. will be slightly different even in how your Arthur looks will be radically different going from person to person like a young james hetfield in my <laughs> i'm sure he did i'm sure he did but the second time through i agree that red dead redemption 2 is a big dusty tome but it's one of the best big dusty tomes <laughs> i've ever played and the story was so rich and so full of you know warmth and character and pathos that mm. I just needed to experience that again and mm. it's kind of conversely to you the story and how strong it is and how strong a sense of being in that world you gain from playing the game that means i will replay that game forever like i will right, keep okay. returning to it not often you know not every year or whatever mm-hmm. but i will keep thinking about it and i will want to it'll be one of those kind of key texts that i, I definitely want to keep replay it immensely yeah like I, I think about it a lot i think about replaying it. i remember all the what it felt
2: like to play that game and i, I get all warm and fuzzy inside thinking about it but i'm not actually going to download the hundred gigs and go do it all again like it's i like that it's done i like that i went through that experience and it sort of gets to live on the side kind of thing And um, what was your second or what was your next pick
3: my second one was uh, Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain Ooh, and this is actually a game that I've I think I've mentioned before that I have tried to replay so many times right. I have played the opening hour of this game genuinely four or five times but the I've worst only that game. ever gotten past that once and it's kind of crazy because that's when things open up and that's when I should have been involved but there's something so intimidating about Metal Gear Solid 5 and maybe it's because of how wonky the second half is you know it's you know notoriously (laughs) unfinished you have to repeat a lot of missions the story gets incredibly fragmented maybe knowing that is what puts me off kind of sticking with it for the full 50 hours and but I just don't know what it is about that game and maybe this will make for a boring podcast because (laughs) I want to replay it my head is saying yes but every time I get to the point where I actually commit to it my heart just says no and I don't
2: It's that whole, that opening bit. The thing is, you know how good Metal Gear 5 gets and you know what it's like to have all those unlocks and all those different, like not necessarily abilities, but you do almost get abilities because of how varied the gadgets become and all the different distraction items and whatever it is, attaching balloons to a jeep and making it fly off and everything. I had the exact same thing where I was like, I want to get back to that. It was one of the only games where I've wished for DLC and I've wished for the most soulless DLC. Just give me areas that I can have fun in with these abilities and these weapons and these items and everything. And obviously they never did it because like you said, the development was all over the place and the story itself was so fractured by the end but i just wanted more of that game i could have played that forever like i love my time with phantom pain it's one of those ones that's over 120 odd hours in it where i just did everything and i thought i always wanted more of that like ironically i still wanted more of it but a beginning bit is nothing like that it's it's way more belabored it takes forever to get going i guess you could skip cutscenes if you wanted to or whatever but there's still a lot of like making you uh, crawl through a hospital and like yeah. whatever and you just want to get back to that sweet spot you were in what like 40 50 60 hours later even though it's all very very solid after that anyway there is a sweet spot that takes hold and runs after like a few hours in but it definitely takes place after that opening bit um, because that's what puts me off too
3: yeah like, like you said you know, there is a sweet spot to that game where the gameplay loop is in your veins and it is the best <laughs> thing you might have ever played and good lord it's such a travesty <clears throat> that we didn't get more games made in the Fox engine because it is mm. smooth as butter but yeah it takes mm-hmm. a long time to rank up because there's a lot of systems in Metal Gear Solid 5 like it's oh, yeah. not a simplistic game like it throws a lot at you both from a story perspective and what you're doing you know you need to get uh, an understanding of the mechanics you need to get an understanding of what mother base is you need to get an understanding of how you recruit people and like how board types. Yeah of how you take on uh, side missions of how you take on made missions there's a lot of stuff in mm. that game and I think that's why it intimidates me going back to it because I had a perfect <laughs> 50 hour run um, with uh, run experience with that game initially and I almost don't want that tainted um, mm. the second time around.
2: That's fair. I will round up my side of things by saying, because you on about the uh, you know getting more games made in the Fox engine. There's a lot of um, Metal Gear Solid 5's feel in my next game, which is Death Stranding, and um, which is a game that is just that that game. I almost didn't replay because I, I beat it the first time. Absolutely loved it. Hated the, the end. Thought the, the final sort of whatever hour long cutscene, whatever the hell that ending was, was an absolute travesty. But I could not have enjoyed the rest of it more. Um, and especially when we first went through it and having those conversations like we did with Breath of the Wild. Where oh my God, have you tried this yet? Have you done this? Have you seen this? Um, loved everything about that game. And it the most simplistic thing. It's just fetch, it's just a fetch quest game. But the way that they flesh that out and they sort of treat the act of like firing a gun or jumping on a platform, you know, uh, 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 completing a fetch quest or whatever, that's your core thing and you build it out from there. It's so good that when the director's cut came out, I jumped in that and just lost an entire afternoon. I felt like I blinked and six hours went by and I was like, I can't do all this again. As enjoyable as the gameplay is and as perfect as that as those systems are. Um, my first time through it was the first time I explored all those um, locations for the first time and the first time that I had to... Improvise my way through them, where you're sort of going, okay, maybe I'll put a ladder up here, or maybe I'll put one of the three D printed um, ability, one of the three D printed uh, environment pieces, or whatever, like a stunt ramp or a bridge or something, um, in here, and this is how I'm going to get to and from. And I made my own way across this place, um, and all the zipline stuff, and all those like, those feelings that you can't get back, like that. There's a bit near the end of the game where it's like, okay, now go back to the start, and you kind of realize that they're cashing in on how much you've paid attention and played the game until that point. And I mean, if you've done well, you can just zipline all the way back to the start again, um, or jump in your trusty bike and, and you know uh, use the highway and everything so it's all those things that that game it, it's never going to be able to do again the idea of everyone sort of asynchronously building together because you can put um crafting materials down and then someone else might finish a project while you're asleep or something and um, real you not your character and you'll go back the next morning and realize that things are further across you for me you can't replicate that obviously we'll get an expansion of it in death stranding 2 but exploring that game as like a fake community was the absolute best feeling ever
3: The thing is, right, when I went to replay Death Stranding again, I suspected that I was going to think the exact same way as you. I didn't think I would finish it because the first time through, like you said there, it's so improvisational and you're kind of Mm -hmm. coming to grips with what was, at the time, like a new style of game. Like, no one had really played anything like Death Stranding before. Yeah, it had like, you know taken a lot of different elements from other games but it kind of mixed them into its own uniquely kojima stew Uh, Mm -hmm. however playing through the second time around i realized that's kind of true you're never going to have the exact same experience again and it's never going to be as special as you bumbling down rivers losing all of your packages (laughs) scraping through and feeling joyous that you got one out of ten packages to the uh to the preppers or whatever Mm -hmm. however the second time around was definitely still worth it, and definitely still still special in my opinion, because it was like, you know, going into a game as a profession as a professional rather than an amateur. In right. kind of instead of just trying to get through the game this time around, I was trying to get five stars. I was trying mm. to do everything as pristine as possible, as clearly as possible, executing it like a professional. And that was an entirely different sense of joy and an entirely different sense of satisfaction. That I didn't get the first time around. So mm-hmm. if anything, I think I actually ultimately ended up enjoying my first my second time through Death Stranding even more. Because okay. I could bring the knowledge to the game and mm-hmm. execute it virtually flawlessly. And, you know, it's still amazing when you do kind of mess up and you do have to scramble and you do have to improvise. But getting the platinum in that game the second time mm-hmm. around was... To me, incredibly enjoyable, but they are very distinct experiences. You know, play yeah, through one it's... and play through two, a radically different um, styles of game, almost.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of those things where, like, by the time you get to the end of it, and Death Stranding's a long game, like it's like 70, out eighty hours, even if you're largely mainlining stuff. Um, but you can bring all those um, abilities in. It reminds me of like when I went back to Sifu because I had Platinum Sifu, but then when I went back to it for the DLC, they've added like Bullet Time and all these different costumes and everything. And although that muscle memory stuff is still in you, I know it's different to Death Stranding, but that idea of just sort of going back and wondering if you're still going to connect with it in the same way, and it's like, no, 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 all these reference points are still in me. I'm still psychologically reacting to all these different things, and it's still enjoyable. Um, what's your final? Pick, sir?
3: My final pick is The Return of the Obra Din, my friends. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful game. An absolutely beautiful game. If you don't know, this is a puzzle title from a few years ago, where you're essentially sent out to investigate a ship that has uh, returned from the seas. And mm. you have to figure out how every crew member died. You have to piece together everything. And again, it's a game about testing hypotheses. It's a game the about, book. you know just kind of trying to gain an understanding of an event and it's another one of those games consequently that once you do understand what happened to everyone and the full story that you mm. can't replicate it but the first time through that game was just chef's kiss man like that was such <laughs> a such a novel idea such a unique art style such a mm-hmm. gorgeous thing to uh to experience that as well like Oberdin is the
2: follow-up from it's lucas pope's game it was after papers please if people because papers please blew up and let, that was part of the whole indie revolution thing in like 2012 2013 um but i feel like not as many people talk about Din. i don't know if they were put off by the art style because it does look like an old apple computer rendering technique which i really love i love that it looks like dot matrix paper being printed over and over again to sort of get this look um but yeah you've kind of like game mechanics wise you've got this like ghost book this sort of supernatural book that you're using to catalog stuff and you have this ability to sort of find different crew members and then use their experiences to recreate whatever happened on the ship and you get their I think you get their perspective you fly around amongst everyone yeah um, like alongside I've been a long time since I went through Obradim but I remember being so blown away by the rush of like oh my god I've got this guy's view on this thing what were they doing before this and then piecing together all the events in tandem and then that game goes places as well I thought it was going to be way more grounders than it was um, not to
3: give everything away but I mean yeah it, uh, there are many reveals that's it and, there are, and those reveals are so Oh, <laughs> weird sometimes Mm. that you don't expect them that the game just kind of like does a great job of constantly subverting your expectations in a good way and even when you think you understand who killed who and why you'll eventually get to a scene that kind of like throws you through the loop and then you might have (laughs) to go back and revise one of your uh, final answers uh, for the cause of death of some of the crewmates and that's great you know the idea of just giving you a brief snapshot because all the game does is throw you into a static scene every single time you go into like one of these point of views so you kind of like might get you know a guy who's holding a gun at another guy's head and then you know you'll be able to freely look around that scene look for things in the scene that might be significant and then like I say try to piece them together when you get uh, another scene further on down the line that's a Mm -hmm. lot of uses of the word scene there but that's just (laughs) the subversion of expectations in that game is is spectacular it's so so well put together
2: I think as well, like we could kind of use this to talk about like the idea of going through like a really good story once and being like experiencing it the first time, all the reveals, the plot twists, whatever it is, all the visuals and everything. That is obviously, you know, there's a lot of quality to that. But some of the best stories are better second time around or can be um, because you just get a greater appreciation for the craft overall. It's like, oh my God, they seeded that bit right at the beginning. I'm not the most obvious thing in the world, but I feel like we put so much of a premium on reactions and first time through stuff. And that's kind of what we're talking about uh, for the most part here. But I think sometimes something like Oprah Den. Um is so well crafted. Um, same with something like Papers, Please. Even though it's not as like much of a direct narrative kind of thing. Um, but I feel like something like Overdine, like it takes you on such a ride. But because it's such a, you can just hold that up as such a beautiful game. Like overall, it just give it to people. Go here, you go. Get lost in this, and uh, get lost in the, all the different ways that things can be revealed, and yeah. it'll just work for you. Uh, the same hey. way.
3: I think you said something interesting there about like stories and putting a mm. premium on like the first experience of those stories and you know mm-hmm. the stress of spoilers and whatnot. And I think that's kind of why I don't have many story games on my list right now because right. I used to obsess over the first experience of something having to be perfect, whether it was games, whether it was movies. I'd get in my own head and if mm. I wasn't experiencing a movie I was looking forward to for the first time, I right. would convince myself it was ruined and then <laughs> I kind of unlocked the beauty of the second watch or the second playthrough in realizing that thank god a good story continues to resonate it doesn't just make you cry one time it will make no. you cry every single time if it I is must of a good quality
2: Yes, sorry. I massively uh, like to quote Jenova uh, creator of Journey and various other games, uh, Flower. And that one that we played, the, the Children of the Sky or whatever it's called. Oh, we had, yeah, we had, on the Switch. We flew around the clouds. It was lovely, that guy. Um, he had a quote where it's, you know, uh, mature art ages with you. And I think the best uh, experiences, the best core stories or core thematics or whatever they are, you'll get something out of them as you grow up and as you go back to it and as you appreciate it more. And so you know, there, there is always that recency bias stuff as well. There is that, that whole caught up in the hype thing and then, you know, enjoying something a second time in a whole different way just because your brain chemicals have calmed down a bit and you can kind of take it in <laughs> in a more rational way. Um, we will have to wrap up this podcast, but I think collectively we've got some damn good games and I think these are some of the best experiences that you can have uh, first time through. So uh, for now, this has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Telford, joined by Josh Brown.
3: Always a pleasure, Scott Telford.
2: Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you and we'll catch you next week, maybe with James Dowse. Don't Goodbye. count on it. Bye-bye.
1: <laughs>
3: Bye. Bye. <laughs>